Hello everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Tapis Rouge. I'm still your host, Guillaume Cauchois, and today's shout-out goes to David Resnick from Reno, Nevada, who was the first one to find out our guest today, Jonathan Buse. David and Jonathan actually worked together on Totem, so it wasn't too difficult for him to guess. As I just suggested, Jonathan and I worked together on Totem, but his Cirque du Soleil career started way before that. Jonathan performed on four different high bar acts for Cirque du Soleil, with two of them being on Mystère and Alegria, two of the craziest acts ever created by Cirque. Also, I caught Jonathan at the end of a recovering process after an injury. I was super inspired by his approach of injury and recovery and thought it would be a great topic to discuss, as it is in the end part of the job, but still quite tricky to navigate sometimes. So here he is, the very smooth Jonathan Buse. Jonathan Buse, welcome to Tapis Rouge. Thank you very much. Hey, how are you, man? I'm all right. I'm all right. Yeah, still in Montreal. Still in Montreal. Yeah, you've I been there cold, for a while. Uh, about two weeks ago. And oh, yeah. <laughs> here we are. Yeah, like this, it just snowed one night. I opened my window and I was like, what the? <laughs> but I actually yelled it. I was, yeah. I no. you know, didn't check the weather. No. <laughs> and I think it was a Monday. I was like, ooh, people are going to be late today. <laughs> Yes, and for how long have you been in Montreal for? Um, I got here in February. February, okay. So, so a yeah, couple it's of been months. A while. Yeah, <laughs> and can you tell us why you came to Montreal in the first place? Yeah, um, so I came to Montreal in February to work on the relaunch of Corteo. I would have left after two months, but uh, had a little injury, and yeah. I am still here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So what, what happened? How did you injure yourself? What was the whole circumstances? Uh, I was training for the show and uh, landed on the part of the trampoline you're not supposed to land on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, I tore a ligament in my foot and it's uh, an important one, turns out. Yeah. And uh, it's the Liz Frank ligament. Mm -hmm. Basically stabilizes your foot and makes the big toe work together with everything else. Uh, it's quite important. Um, it? Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, I did that and a uh, few surgeries later and I'm, you know, getting back to training and hoping to get into the show as soon as I can. Nice. That's, that's pretty great. So now you're here going back on tour with Corteo, but can you take us to the beginning? How was your first encounter with Cirque and how did your Cirque adventure start it? So I think that I saw Cirque for the first time when I was uh, like a teenager in Vegas. I think I saw him the stair. Mm -hmm. And because uh, I was, you know, at a gymnastics competition in Vegas. Most of my traveling when I was a kid was for gymnastics competitions. I'm sure <laughs> a lot of the other, you know, gymnasts have had that uh, experience. But yeah. Um, yeah, so I saw him the stair. And then uh, I really didn't have too much other interaction with Cirque at all until... Uh, Actually, that's not true. One time when I was in college, there was a guy who had been on my team and they were doing a show. Uh, I went to college in Iowa and mm -hmm. there was a show that was like 45 minutes away, Alegria. And uh, the guy was like, hey, man, you could do this. Like, you could be a flyer. You could do it. And I was like, I don't know about that <laughs> for the high bar flying act. He was the catcher yes. for it. Oh, okay. um, yeah. And so then my next encounter was when I uh, met with the recruiters. Uh, at college? 
Yeah. So, um, at the end of my college career, the last, uh, you know, college championships, NCAAs, uh, there was a, like a lunch that the Cirque scout that was visiting had and anybody that was interested, I don't know how we heard out about it from this other guy from this other school. Um, and I almost didn't go. So <laughs> my roommate uh, was like, dude, come on. What's the worst that can happen? Like you can get a job. This could be cool. Yeah. So I was like, I guess, I guess you're right. Let's just go. So anyway, we go and uh, I don't know, there were probably like 15 people there meeting with uh, the recruiter and uh, she gave us the information and like, you kind of sent your video of what you did at the mm-hmm. meet. They didn't see you. They watch you. And um yeah, you kind of just wait to hear back and see if they are interested in you. Luckily for me, they were. Yeah. And for what show did you get casted first? Um, I was cast for High Bar. So back then in 2010, there was Mister High Bar and Alegria High Bar. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of training on a structure, preparing for either of the shows. Okay. Is it, was it the same structure for both act? Yeah, it's, it's basically the same structure. Okay. Like a little bit different construction back then but yeah basically like the distance and the construction of the whole thing is the same okay cool and did you get a job right after the training yes yeah, so i actually didn't even finish um i was i think it was like three i was supposed to be there for four months for the whole general formation they used mm-hmm. to do a general formation which is where basically you know uh athletes and like acrobats would go and kind of have the little like Cirque du Soleil school or circus school mm. and you would do yeah. like singing and dancing and, you know, kind of jeu class, like clown mm. stuff Acting and stuff. And just to make sure to per- try percussion to try stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The first week I think we had to sing and I was, you know, just in a cold sweat having to do that. <laughs> so anyway, uh, <laughs> I think four months, uh, like it was supposed to be four months long. And I think I had left after three and a half months because the contract opened up in Vegas. Nice. And I ended up there. Cool. So you have to, from there, you get a contract, you go into Mystere, you move to Vegas, and that's your life now. You're in high bar acrobat in Mystere. Yeah. So I, uh, I mean, I was, I was, I'm saying I'm just a kid. I was like 23 and I had just mm-hmm. finished school um, and went out and was doing, you know, kind of the scariest act that Cirque had. That yeah. <laughs> At least scary for me, but, uh, yeah, like, you know, working, you know, five days a week and, you know, being in a new place, it was all, uh, it was a lot and like super intimidating and, you know, you feel like, I mean, all the guys that were there had been on the team for years Mm -hmm. and were older, like more, more adults than me. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a very, uh, very good experience for me. <laughs> and <laughs> so made how, me grow up a little bit. <laughs> so how was it to be, just become an artist? Like you went from that, from being a, an athlete, going to college, and then all of a sudden your life takes like a radical turn and you're in Las Vegas, you're an artist, and you're doing a very like, scary act, like doing high bar really high on a big show, a big stage. And how did you, how was that transition life-wise? Um, it was in a way it was probably good because some of the stuff that I was doing, like all the stuff with the team, it in a way felt more like gymnastic stuff than performing because 
in the show, like we were so, so high up and so far away from the audience that it wasn't, you know, so much the acting, you really just kind of had to be pretty still while everything else was going on. Um, so in a way I feel like that act was maybe a a smoother transition than it would have been Mm. if you really had to perform and kind of be, let's say vulnerable or really expressive Mm. in another way. Um, but it was nuts. Like, you know, like timing (laughs) is super important there because there were, um, in Mysteria, there were two structures, like in Allegria, there was just one, but in Mysteria, there were two structures. So not only could you stay on one structure, you could transfer over to other structures. Oh, okay. So all that really high up as well. Yeah. I mean, it, that one, I mean, that one felt like it was probably like 40 feet up. There was a, a net that was really bouncy. So maybe you were 35 feet up. I don't know exactly what the measurements were, but yeah. pretty high. <laughs> super high, super high. I mean, yeah, when I went to, when I was in Montreal, the first time, the first day we saw this, I mean, even before I got to Montreal, like, uh, they sent a video to me. They're like, yeah, this is what we're looking at for you. And I was like, Oh my God, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> Like, I mean, the dudes are doing, you know, flips over a sidebar, catching the guys and it, it looks so high. (laughs) And I was, I mean, I remember kind of having like, you know, trying to go to sleep at night sometimes. And I'm like, is that what I'm going to be doing? I don't know if that's a good idea. (laughs) Like, I really couldn't like, you know, probably uh, blocked a little bit of sleep for me. Yeah. But yeah, so, um, I ended up, yeah, going to Mystere and, you know, I, I think I was there for 10 months mm-hmm. and at the end I was starting to feel like a little more comfortable Okay. and, uh, but yeah, Vegas, Vegas was a whole thing, man. Like it was a really different time in Las Vegas too, compared to now, like 2010 Las Vegas was, I mean, it was kind of a ghost town compared oh, yeah. to what it is now because i mean recently i feel like there's been such a boom in las vegas yeah, there's so many shows so many stuff happening and... yeah then it was like i mean it was like super emptied out just from the you know financial crisis and stuff so oh yeah it's true when i've been back in vegas since then it's really different from you know the one year period where mm-hmm. i lived there that was not normal <laughs> <laughs> or like you know the lowest of the low times yeah at least of our lives Right, so then out of your 10 months in Mystere, what was the craziest thing that happened to you? Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I had this one time where I was doing one of these uh, transfer moves where you go from structure to structure. And uh, the first time we did it, I mean, because you're, you're on a swing and there's two guys on the swing to keep it going. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one, like my body position was kind of right or kind of wrong. Sorry. So my shoulders are a little bit too far back. And then... Uh, the, I think the pusher on the back didn't push that hard. So I didn't have quite as much like oomph to get to the bar. Yeah. So I like just touched the bar and like fell down to the mat. Fine. No problem. Anyway, I have to do it again. Cause we're in training. <laughs> the next one we go, like I do, I do it way better. Like timing was like mm, delicious. Yes. <laughs> like, you know, like, and like super good swing and the pusher like pushes super hard. But because I was thinking about the last one, I like overcorrected and like put my shoulders forward. So like, like, I mean, just a perfect combination. And like, they throw me like over the bar. So I'm like, you know, come, I'm like, you know, going from like a seated position, like to come catch a bar. And like, I just keep going up, man. Like, so the bar is like right in front of me. And I just keep going up like all the way over. And I'm like, so you clear you know, the, like the handstand trying to put pressure on the bar. And I was like, dude, I'm too high. Like I can't, I can't. 
And so, yeah, I like fall like over, like do like a big kind of front flip into the net. Just, uh, yeah. So how do you That's, feel when you were like, this is not happening right now. And I'm about to yeah, fall was, like 35 feet. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was like, Oh boy, this isn't good. <laughs> But I was okay. I landed in the net. I, uh, kind of like crumpled up. So yeah. that's what you got to do. You land in the net. You don't try to stay stiff. Yeah. So I feel uh, yeah. before this type of act, also you have so much airtime to realize that you messed up. You're like, it's, it's not like you're doing a flip <laughs> on the floor. You have a wrong takeoff, but then you have like one second of airtime and then you're on the floor. Like there, you literally have a whole bunch of seconds to be like, yep, yep. I'm about. Yeah. I mean, most of the time on that act, like, Because if you have like a decent flight before you're caught, you know, you have time to think about what you've done. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can be like, oh, that was late. Oh, that was early. Like, oh boy. <laughs> so yeah, that was, uh, that was one of those times. Oh man. This moment when you make, but at least he was in, I mean, at least you're safe. That's the most important thing. And then he was in training too, because when something like that happened on show, And you add the <gasps> of the audience that like a whole other layer of like stress to like nicely pepper yeah. you before you hit the mat. And that's yeah. like, oh yeah. Cause like, especially that show, like, cause yeah, there's a lot of time. So like you miss and then like, you know, you're going to land in the net, but like it can take a while. And then like, when you do hit the net, people are like, Ooh, it's like, yeah, I knew like a second and a half ago. All right. I knew it. <laughs> and when that happened on the show do you have to like climb back up and do it again or you're just like moving the act is just moving on um yeah it sort of depends like on uh on which trick it is and like where in the act you are we would have like a backup trick sometimes if something like that happened but oh, sometimes you repeat sometimes you don't yeah yeah that's i think that's like when someone makes a mistake on stage and then yeah. try again and then make a mistake again And then yeah. moves on, you're like, oh. <laughs> I know, but yeah, there's also like the old school thing where it's like, oh man, we try it three times. There's going to be that crazy applause at the end. The people are going to go nuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, I feel from the inside when someone tries again and then mess up, you have that like, yeah, he tried, he tried. Like I, he, yeah, <laughs> you, I have respect for your trying, even though it, the, the end was a bit anticlimactic. Like it's, I, I commend your your courage yeah oh um, it's i mean you have to appreciate it. it's like oh buddy i i know exactly <laughs> what kind of day you're having i've been there <laughs> i remember on totem it happened one time in the high bar act that when gila liberté was watching the show in the premiere like an acrobat like tried the final move messed up try again messed up again and then went to bow at the end of the act everyone was kind of like oh yeah <laughs> we were all in character like oh like yeah you you tried you tried the best you could <laughs> yeah probably blushing through the frog makeup <laughs> but that's i mean i feel it's the first yeah the first fall on stage is like the worst but then after you're like okay i'm a professional i like analyze what i did and then you're moving on yeah And so you get on Mister, you work on Mister for 10 months. And then what happened? Um, I was on a temporary contract because uh, I was covering for someone who was injured. And uh, kind, of, kind of a few things happened. They needed another person for Alegria. 
but uh, I was actually there really close to the end of when they um, closed that act. It was replaced later by uh, a big flying trapeze number. Mm-hmm. So I was there close to the end of uh, that number existing at Cirque and in Mystere. Um, so I think they needed someone and I was, I'm not exactly sure why they picked me. I was <laughs> the youngest one. I don't know what that meant. Um, I was probably like, had had the least injuries. Maybe that's part of, I have no idea. Mm, yeah. Or maybe you were the best, there's the best fit for the show. You know, it could have been, you know, I, yeah, could be that I was a good fit. So anyway, um, yeah, I ended up going to Alegria and it was my first time like leaving the U S and going to Europe and I was super excited for it. Yeah. And uh, another crazy high and scary act too. <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, it was different too, because, uh, I mean, in Mystere, like, uh, the high bar structure was like, <laughs> the high bar structure was like, um, lowered from the grid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in Alegria, the high bar structure was, you know, basically in the grid, but, you know, just starting out the act, you basically start with a rope climb <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> before you do anything. So, but yeah, high. And they had a, it was a little bit of a different landing too. So anytime you would land on that mat because of how, uh, the arena tour had to work. Um, you couldn't have a, a normal net because the normal nets bounce so much. And just because of the height of everything, they couldn't work that in an arena with the stage and the grid oh, yeah. and the height restrictions. So anyway, there was a big plastic bed underneath. So you'd land it was a tight plastic bed. So you wouldn't dip too low when you landed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, anytime you'd land in the mat, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing that the music was so loud for the act because <laughs> I'm sure people in the front row were, you know, having hearing loss for a few minutes after, but yeah, just high. And how was the, the tour tour life going from being in Vegas and now just you're on tour, you're going everywhere. Yeah. I mean, in a way, I mean, it's super, super different. Cause you know, in Vegas, you got to find your place to live and you just, you know, most people get a car and you're just, you know, basically living at home, like kind of having a, more of a normal job. Mm-hmm. And then once you get on tour, it's, you know, it's super different. I was on arena tour and, um, you know, you're changing cities every week for the most, pretty much every week. Yeah. And like all the time, you're always getting used to a new place. Like, I don't know if you've seen spinal tap, but there's a part <laughs> where they get lost in uh, the arena <laughs> when they're going to play a gig yeah. that happened. <laughs> like they put arrows on the ground that you try to follow, like to go to the stage and your like dressing room and stuff. But yeah, changing locations every week, just new things all the time. So Did it's a like super, that? like super exciting life. And you're always going, there's always like new, you know, stimulating things. Yeah. And how long did you do the arena tour with Arigria for? I was there for uh, a little over two years. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And I was just in Europe. So yeah. So that whole time was in Europe and it was really cool too, because we saw so much because, you know, in a big top tour, you're in a city for a lot longer, but we were able to go to so many new or like other countries, new places for me that I never would have been to had I not been on that tour. Yeah, for sure. And so after what made you leave the tour? That was when Alegria. Yes. So that was when Alegria closed. Um, Kind of, we, I think we found out like maybe April or something of 2013 that they had plans to close Alegria as it, you know, was then. Um, So yeah, we kind of had like a lot of 
time left over. <laughs> like they're like, Hey, you know, show's ending eight more months though. So, okay. Kind of a, a big, uh, trek to get to the end of that. So, uh, yeah, like just keep working and get through the end of the tour. But I mean, it, in a way, I mean, there's a way to look at it where you're like, I'm super upset that, you know, my show is ending and not going to be doing this anymore. Cause man, like Allegria was, I mean, you've spoken to people before that have worked there and worked with like Franco and stuff. It's a yeah. super fulfilling like show, like you yeah. and doing like that high bar act, like man, it's pretty epic. So yeah, like you come down at the end of it and you're like, I mean, you feel like super accomplished every night. Like, yeah, it feels sure. super cool. Yeah. It's like the, it's the most iconic Cirque du Soleil show. Yeah. It's, and you're doing the final act, the most yeah. epic of the show. So I'm sure every night when you take your bow, you must be like, yeah, this is pretty great, <laughs> man. Yeah. It, I mean, it was, it was such a cool experience. So yeah, to be able to like close the show and finish it like that was pretty special. And I mean, the feeling, the feeling of like when shows ending too, or when a show is closing or whatever, like, you know, you kind of appreciate it in a different way and try to kind of be present for it. Yeah. How was it to you close know? to do like the last show? I mean, it was like super emotional and also like, you know, sometimes you just get kind of like run down with, you know, whatever, like emotions or just like yeah. maybe some stress or whatever, but everyone was like so tired and exhausted. I feel like, but felt very, I mean, everyone was like super proud to be able to, you know, like push through all the way to the end and do, you know, pretty great shows all the way through. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty special for sure. And so what happened, the show closes and then from there, yeah. So, um, so the show closed at the end of, end of 2013. Um, and then, uh, I, I don't know exactly when, maybe like in the fall of, uh, that year, I had heard that there might be a contract opening up on totem mm -hmm. and, uh, and yeah, eventually like I got like an email from the same person who recruited me, like when I was in college. Okay. Like from 2010. And they were like, Hey, there's a spot on totem. Like, are you interested? Here's a contract. It's temporary again. Um, and I was, cause I wanted to keep, you know, working and yeah, for sure. You know, being with the company. And cause I felt like I was, you know, enjoying it more than ever. And I felt more comfortable on stage and mm -hmm. kind of getting into just, you know, more and more things, you know, being there. So yeah, I wanted to keep going. So I took that contract. I took it right up. <laughs> my name on the line and uh and yeah headed out i think i had two weeks between uh the end of alegria and starting at totem well, that's pretty sweet but also it must have been like did you have enough time to process like okay i just closed the show like goodbye to all the friends the family and then like oh i'm on a new show i need to learn new makeup new track new act like it's, it seems like a, a lot to process in yeah no i didn't because <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah everything was like so intense and you feel like so attached to allegory and it's like oh man it's such an amazing show and then i was like okay i'm going to totem i'm gonna be a frog <laughs> I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna be a frog and a monkey <laughs> like i used to be a god up there um <laughs> but no like, i mean it's yeah it's hard and then there's a like a whole new group of people i knew a few guys that uh had also switched over from alegria that were there mm -hmm. but uh yeah i mean you're kind of starting from square one again with a new show and i was doing i mean it was a different 
uh, structure and apparatus of like high bar. So still high from, bar. Yeah, it's still high bar, but like much lower. I mean, these guys were like, you know, 10 feet up yeah. in the air. <laughs> Maybe not even. They weren't that high. Um, I had to flex my feet like through the bottom so I wouldn't, you know, scrape the ground. Yeah, so you, lower, lower than 10 feet. <laughs> Significantly lower. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, there were, there's like a whole new basically vocabulary that you have to learn on lower bars. But so at that time, it's your third high bar act with Cirque du Soleil. Yes. Like how, how does that feel? Because at this point, you like experienced two previous high bar acts. Now it's your third one. Are you able to translate vocabulary from one act to another? Or like how, just, yeah, how does it work? I don't think, I don't think I was like really so much the vocabulary. Because I think with the totem bars, because they were pretty much a gymnastics bar. So it's a lot more of like, that technique you're doing some new tricks but you're not changing the technique so much on allegria and mystere the bars are really really stiff so kind of different like different on the body and different way to work the bar um but i think the things that i learned that like did translate were kind of like thinking about timing um yeah just like really thinking about like being precise with timing and knowing about kind of how to correct things um, and working on a team. I think that's the stuff that was really helpful, like to transition from other shows, which I'd done, you know, from two different shows, with like different, very different teams yeah. to, to Totem. Were the teams, you said the teams were different, but how different were the teams from one show to another? Um, the teams were pretty different. I mean, the team at Mystere, a lot of those guys had been there for, you know, over a decade. So they were, you know, just kind of older. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I was, I was the youngest one. Most of the guys were in like probably in their thirties. Okay. Average. So yeah, just kind of an older team and more established. And I think most of the guys were, were Russian speakers. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, when I went to Alegria, it was like way younger, like average ages in the twenties and okay. The guys were from all over the place, like Canadians and Brazilians and French guys and mm, okay. some Russian guys. There was a Chinese guy. So there are just people from everywhere. And if you can't hear, I'm American. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you go to Totem, completely new character, new act, new structure, new thing, and also new tour type. Like you go from arena tour to big top. Yeah, I think... I mean, it's a big change. I think I wasn't really, I think I was too caught up in Allegria to realize like what big cop touring was and kind of realizing how different it is mm -hmm. and how nice it is. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, it's cool to stick around in a city for a long time. Like if you go to, uh, you know, if you go to a city and like, let's say on arena, you're maybe like far away from like fun things to do in the city or whatever, you know, you're just there for a week. You're going to leave it's okay. Yeah. But, uh, on the big top, you're there for so long and like you get to have more stuff. You generally have like a kitchen. Some, yeah. a lot of times in hotel or a lot of times in arena, you're in a hotel room. Okay. So, so yeah, just kind of having like more of an apartment, kind of more of a normal life on tour. It's just kind of an easier, uh, way to live a little yeah. more comfortable. <laughs> now you're on totem, you get to learn the act, you get along with the team. And I believe you were promoted to captain of the team at some point. So how did that happen? 
and how was your experience as a leader in an acrobatic team on a circus show? Um, so yeah, the guy that had been the like captain and then artist coach, uh, my whole time there, my first like four years, probably I was on the show for like six years. Um, he left, moved on. And, okay. uh, I ended up like sharing the artist coach role with, uh, another guy. So we did like a six month, six month split, but, uh, man, it was awesome because, you know, you kind of seen like how people kind of run the team and other teams too. I mean, there's other, all the group X that you've seen before you kind of mm -hmm. see how people kind of deal with the team and you see things that you like and that you maybe don't like so much. And then also things that maybe you can do. <laughs> that other people don't do, but also <laughs> things that other people do where you're like, Oh no, I can't be like that strong. Or I can't think I can't talk to people that way. Um, so yeah, but man, it was great because it, I mean, it, uh, you kind of have to think of things in a lot like bigger picture sort of way. And, um, you, you think of yeah. more like managing like the team and it's great because like you get to kind of steer the ship. You know, like you can kind of uh, deal with people the way that you want and kind of be softer. And also like you feel responsible of like when someone goes in, you want them to have the best experience that they can when you have a new person come into the show. Mm. So if you're in charge of like integrating someone, you think about what it was like when you've integrated into shows before. Like, so yeah, like when, for example, when one of the guys came, when uh, I was mm. the artist coach, like I had to integrate him. And I always draw maps. Like I draw a map of the stage when I'm doing like a new act okay. or something or like a new role or track or whatever. I'll okay. I basically draw a diagram of the stage and I, you know, basically make lines say like where I'm going. And so I tried to do that for the guys when they came in and you try to think of all the, you know, little things mm -hmm. like at the end of totem, for instance, too, like, uh, the, at the end of the carapace number that we did the frogs we had to clip like a belt yeah. on to the structure and we would ride up to the grid and not everybody's comfortable like with heights and stuff so <laughs> like all right like attach your belt <laughs> like you double check your belt you like you stay low breathe because it's okay <laughs> but yeah you try to you know basically cover everything that you can and try to help people out like as best as you can yeah man the height thing is is really is really a thing like i remember the first time i went up on the grid i yeah. couldn't even stand i was walking like i was doing like bear walk on the grid and like the, i remember the, <laughs> the head rigger was looking at me like who is this guy he's like an aerial acrobat and he's scared he's scared to be on the grid what the fuck are we going to do with this guy <laughs> and like it, it really took like a couple of try and I remember asking the ad like can i have more time just to hang out on the grid so I can get used to it because it's really not a, a natural thing. Yeah. Me. I mean, dude, I was the same way too with the height. Uh, when I started in, in Montreal the first time in my like general formation, I wouldn't even stand up on the structure when we got there. I just like, I was scooting across on my butt. Like, <laughs> yes. I was like, dude, I can't, I can't just stand up here. Yes. Why would I do that? <laughs> They're like, you don't have to do it today, man. It was like, oh. I mean, uh, and I mean, when guys are swinging on those bars the first time there, you get ripped so bad and like you get blisters on your hands because you're hanging on for like dear life, you know, yes. which is not what you normally do. Like in gymnastics, like you just yeah. be like, Oh, no, no, I'm just like, normal. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you're like, like here, people's hands just get shredded up. 
because it's because it's scary. Our partner in this episode is Circus Talk, the online carrier marketplace for circus and the performing arts. Circus Talk is the new thing that is great for our international circus community. It is an amazing information resource, bringing news, events, and industry trends to us, professionals working in the field. What also makes Circus Talks amazing is their first online casting platform that connects talents and talent seekers in circus and performing arts. If you're a talent seeker, you can finally post jobs and auditions in a professional and transparent way, instead of using social media accounts. There are already over 28,000 artist profiles on Circus Talk that talent seekers can search while talents can find jobs and apply to them via the Circus Talk platform. You can get your first month free on both Circus Talk Talent and Talent Seeker Pro membership by using the promo code TAPIROUGE in one word. So go to circustalk.com, sign up to Pro and use the code TAPIROUGE to find your spotlight with our partner, Circus Talk. All right, guys, a little side story now. Back in 2014, I hurt my back training backstage before a show. The pain was so intense, I couldn't put my socks on, sit for more than two minutes, and obviously, it took me out of the show for quite some time. I followed a strict core rehabilitation program, and after six weeks, I got back on stage. But I kept having recurring pain. So I started to educate myself about core anatomy, rehab training, and pain science. I wanted to understand why am I doing all these exercises if the pain keeps coming back. The more I was learning, the more I understood I had to change. I started switching exercises, tweak some techniques and executions, and also completely changed my perception of pain. After a couple of weeks, on top of reducing considerably my pain level, I was feeling so much stronger, which increased my confidence to move and better perform on stage. My life overall was so much better. Finally, I was pain-free and not scared to hurt my back again. I had a lot of artists and athlete friends who saw that happening and asked me, hey, what did you do for your back? And I thought, I could put it all out in a clear and clean way, instead of always pulling random videos on YouTube and giving quick guidance. So I reached out to all the best doctors, physiotherapists, and performance medicine specialists whom I met touring, and asked them to help me develop Protocol Cut to the Core. Protocol Cut to the Core is the first rehab and strengthening protocol for back or hip pain that also includes a comprehensive course in core anatomy, biomechanics, and pain science. It is approved by doctors, physios, and performance medicine specialists from five different countries. If you are suffering from acute or persistent back or hip pain, you can find protocol Cut to the Core on our website at cuttothecorefitness.com. When movement is an issue, movement is the solution. And now, let's get back to the show. So you do the issue of the captain and what were the best lessons you learned as a captain of the team? Um, you kind of, 
it's hard because like, I mean, you, you sort of have an idea of the direction that you want to take the things in and all that. And like, maybe you have a plan and stuff and it just doesn't always work out. So maybe not micromanaging. Cause I think maybe that's what I thought I needed to do is like be really on top of things, but to be like way looser with, or not way looser, but to not micromanage because mm-hmm. it doesn't make anybody else happy. And it, you know, it doesn't make my life easier and everyone's an adult, like they're responsible for themselves. So yeah, yeah not micromanaging, letting people be, you know, adults and the person that they're going to be knowing that they're most likely going to be responsible and do everything to the best of their ability. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, to kind of be on the other like management side, like you have to do the paperwork and you make the, basically the show lineup for the act. And mm-hmm. you also try to like plug in holes when there are like some people missing with, you know, one thing or another. Mm-hmm. And I mean, because you're at that point, I'd been in the show for, you know, five years, I think. And, uh, you know, you know, so many like ins and outs of the show that you're able to kind of, I mean, help a lot when you see something that like maybe is kind of not right with like the lineup or something. You're like, ah, we got to get this guy here and got to like do this. Yeah. And sometimes that stuff happens on the fly where you're just yeah. like, Oh, we got to go. And like, you just get on stage. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, you're, or you're like, Oh man, that guy's lost. Like that's another thing. Yeah. Like you when we were doing the monkey stuff, sometimes you'd be like, Oh no, that guy doesn't know what he's doing right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> like what forever in which which part of the show just uh like there was one part in uh escalade where like you'd have to manipulate the tripod structure a lot and someone would just be in the wrong space and you're like guys no no go that one (laughs) but you're like you're a monkey (laughs) so like you're like pointing and like so you're like like smack him on the back point like yell you know yeah (laughs) oh dude that's so funny i i it must be a lot of fun though to like work in a big team with a bunch of guys like this when the chemistry is good between the people, like, and when stuff like that happen, it must be when there is no risk, it must be super fun. Yeah. I mean, we, and I, I think we always had a great group on totem, but I, I think we were having like such a great time at the end and the team was super strong. We'd all been there for a, most of us have been there for a while. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was a great vibe at the end there. Yeah. So then Corteo comes into the picture. High bar again. So your fourth high bar act for Cirque. Yeah. So again, how was that new transition, new high bar act, new show? Yeah. Um, And Corteo is sort of, I mean, kind of, it's a big, big Cirque show, like pretty legendary show too. And the high bar act is, you know, create, I think all the gymnasts had seen that video, like, because I think the show started in like 2005, 2006. Yeah, 2005. So, yeah, like I remember being in college and, you know, you see that video like pop up and you're like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, here I am like, you know, 15 years later. But uh, yeah, Corteo, uh, we found out like at some point that Totem wasn't coming back, which broke my heart. But uh, yeah, did hear that Corteo was coming back, which um was great because <laughs> so i was like cool i know how to do high bar <laughs> yeah um so i eventually i got that job like uh or i got the contract towards the end of last year and uh yeah shipped here for or in like in february but um fourth high bar act 
Yeah, I like basically got like all the big ones, kind of the four big ones under my belt. Yeah, because what's so cool with your story is that I feel really often gymnasts can be put in a box of like at Cirque, you, like you're a generalist, you do a little bit of everything, but through your career, even though you did a little bit of everything, you really became a high bar specialist because you did all the high bar acts of Cirque du Soleil. So it really makes you by experience a high bar specialist. And I think that's so cool. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I think I was really fortunate to kind of be in the right place at the right time for, I mean, basically every contract that came up, like I was, Mm -hmm. I mean, even, I mean, really things that I like can't control, like basically like my size, like I can't control like how long my height is like when I'm hanging on a bar, but it was the right one for like basically every show. Yeah. So yeah, I was, I was pretty lucky about that, but yeah, I mean, and, and just that there were always availabilities and I guess I was the right fit most of the time. It was very fortunate for me, yes, but, uh, for sure. but yeah, like it's, it's been a cool experience because like, they're all different. They are all doing high bar, but in a, a different way. And, uh, what's really cool about, um, doing Corteo is that it's probably the, the most character forward, let's say of any of the, okay. uh, um, high bar acts that there are. So okay. you have a lot more, there's a lot more, it seems like personality, you know, let's say than uh, when I was a frog. Okay. You get to express yourself as an artist yeah. more. Yeah. Some, and sometimes it can be hard to figure out like, what your personality, what your personality is as a frog. Who am I? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like that was the thing with the totem too. That was kind of, could be a little tricky. You're like, okay, I have to be a frog, <laughs> but like you, you also have to be a person and an acrobat and you figure out how to make your like frog character um, sort of fit in a way that's like fun and fits with the theme of the show and the vibe mm-hmm. and the number and all that. And also like, you know, with the movements that you have to make, because I mean, that was a huge thing that's different about uh, like Totem and Corteo from the really high numbers is like, there's space to move <laughs> when you're yeah. like, you know, on the floor, or, like on the structure, we had at uh, Totem with the carapace, like there's so much more space that like you can uh, yeah, kind true. of occupy. And there's also a lot more like sequences in the show. So like, oh, okay. you're just like, when I com- have to compare like the the aerial high bar shows, Mister and Alegria, to uh, like mm-hmm. Totem and Corteo, totally different because like there's always something happening, and in uh, the really high shows like Mister and Alegria, like there are like slow mo like slow moments where really not that much is happening, or like there's just like one trick happening at a time. And, you know, oh, like, like it's a big pendulum and it can be like three swings while kind of you're preparing for a trick or something's happening. So there's mm. a lot more <laughs> happening. Yeah. There's and kind of more built- on totem and tonic on cardio. There is constantly bam, 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 bam stuff happening. Yeah. I mean, so many sequences and everything. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's cool. I'm, I'm, ex- I'm excited to see you rocking the house there. I'm excited to get there. Yeah. And, and man, like, you know, comparing like, cause it's a, you're basically a person when uh, you're in Corteo, yeah. you're in, you're in a dream, but you're a person. Um, yeah. but yeah, like the, the makeup is a million times easier than the frog makeup that we had on totem. <laughs> yes. 
I remember the, the first time I tried it, it was like two hours when I got to the show. Yeah, yeah. The, the frog makeup looked like a long time. I remember I would be backstage and like you or another frog would be like, well, I'm going to do my makeup now. And I would look at the time and be like, the show is in three hours. Like, <laughs> how, why do I going to start your makeup now, dude? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's heavy makeup. For yeah. Sure. And I mean, that's the thing too. Like with the, like when I was the artist coach, when the new guys came in too, it's like, hey, you kind of suggest a time for them to start their makeup because you know it's going to take like, yeah. you know, an hour and a half. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, do you want to talk a little bit about your injury and not in a way of like injury sucks and stuff like that, but you went through a whole recovery process, the whole training. And I feel that it's injury is a special thing in circuit in performing in general, because I feel it's something that happens to everybody to different degrees. I feel like being an acrobat is kind of part of the deal. Like sometimes you're you're going to make maybe a mistake. You're going to get little eggs, bigger or smaller, but it's, it can be a tricky way. It can, it can be something hard to deal with emotionally and psychologically. And from the other discussion we had, I felt you have a, such a great perspective on it. So would you want to share a little bit about your experience and your perception about injury and the recovering process? Yeah. I mean, I, I think... Yeah, I certainly have a different perspective and like feelings about it now. At the beginning, it was just kind of like, what, what the, and uh, <laughs> swearing and uh, yeah, just anger. And, but yeah, I mean, like you get hurt and the first like little bit, I mean, it does, it depends on injury, but for me, we weren't quite sure exactly what happened like right away. So we had to wait, you know, um, a little while for like x-rays and we had, I do x-rays twice because the injury I got, you have to see if your bones are moving apart. Like they, I like, yeah. so yeah, toward the leg of my foot, I had to go back for a second actually. Cause they're like, Oh no, you kind of have to like stand on it so we can see if your bones move apart. So if you like really tore the ligament, okay. <laughs> so I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> so, like, it was a weird feeling. It was a really weird feeling, but uh, yeah. So basically there's just like figuring out what happened to you. It was like the, was the, the first, first step. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I tore the Liz Frank ligament and I didn't really know about that until I had talked to the physios because they were, they were pretty sure that that's what happened. It was. And yeah, when I spoke to the doctor, he's like, this is a long injury to come back from. Um, in my head, you know, I'm hoping like I can get back in like, you know, four or five months, maybe six months. Cause like in my head, I'm like, man, I want to go back to Europe. Cause when totem closed, we were in Europe and you know, I kind of wanted like revenge, like get back to yeah. <laughs> yeah. get back to the show and like get back to like working in Europe. And yeah, the doctor said like 10 to 12 months. And I think so and like, my oh. face was just like white. Like I felt like I just got like, <laughs> oh my God. felt like, yeah, got like smacked in the face. So I, I was just like, are you serious? <laughs> so yeah. Um, and yeah, like the plan was to have like two surgeries, one to put a big screw in and out. But uh, yeah, anyway, you deal with that part, the surgeries, but. So the first step is really to get a proper diagnosis and to understand for you as the person who had the injury, it, you said that it helps to have a timeline for your recovery, but also to understand what's happening yeah. in your body. Yeah. So like, I mean, to really know like what's going on kind of what the, what the damage is and what the recovery kind of looks like. And, um, 
I, there's like a few like kind of high profile athletes that like had this injury lately. So I was looking at like, okay. you know, interviews with them and just, you know, seeing stuff, but yeah, like it's the doctor wasn't lying. It's a long recovery. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, so there's the part at the beginning where you're figuring it out and then you get your, you know, the surgery or you just kind of start doing your like treatment and rehab and kind of go from there. And then eventually once, you know, you're like kind of cleared to go and like train more to the next level, you know, you just have to take it step by step, mm-hmm. which can be a long process. Yeah, for sure. And emotionally, does it help to have a direction to know like, okay, this is what's happening in my body. This is the timeline that I have. These are the steps that I need to follow. So does it help to kind of cope with what's happening to be like, okay, I kind of have a better vision of what my life is going to be for the next couple of months. What are the milestones that I need to achieve to feel better? And yeah. So one of the, yes. Um, one of the difficult things about like my injury was that like they, have to get all the bones in your foot in the right place. So I was non-weight bearing for three months after the first surgery. So like three so months, no like weight at all on your foot. Yeah. Three months, like in a boot, but like just on crutches. And, uh, I got this like peg leg tool thing that I yeah. started using. <laughs> and, uh, that was great because it's, you know, a crutch, but you can actually use your hands and mm-hmm. get a little bit of independence and a little bit more of a normal life. Yeah. So, uh, Yeah. But, you know, like having a goal. And so then like after three months, I had my next checkup and, you know, see what the next step is. And yeah, you just kind of build up from there in my head though. One of the things that I was, well, that I was like sure about, which didn't change, um, was that I just want to stay in good shape. Cause basically when, uh, you know, once I got the contract for Corteo, I was like, okay, I can't do all the tricks that are on those bars and I have, and there's different, it's a different vocabulary from totem and different skills that you need to learn, which you can't practice at home. So yeah, the thing that you can do is just be the most prepared that you can, which is be in pretty good shape. So I felt like, you know, in the, in the interim of getting the contract and actually getting to Montreal, I had gotten myself into pretty decent shape. I was happy enough with it. Yeah. Um, or like for doing high bars specifically, like getting your shoulders like strong and like ready. Cause it's mm-hmm. tough. Um, yeah. so yeah, when I got injured, I was like starting to feel pretty good and like strong and everything felt pretty normal. So I didn't want to basically lose shape. So I was working out super hard at the beginning. Like, you know, I'm in a boot and I'm doing my exercises and like hopping on crutches, like to go to the next thing. But yeah, man, I was, <laughs> I kept working out. So like in a way that, uh, kind of desire not to get out of shape or to stay in shape was, you know, kind of a driver and also like just helps like tire me out because there is stress and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know what the next or like exactly what the recovery is going to look like. So sometimes, you know, that can weigh on people's minds and they worry about it. So, um, yeah, all the working out, like just kind of helped me like kind of, fend off like the, you know, the worry and all that stuff and just tire me out. I'm sure it must help with your metabolism to, to like keep your metabolism active and yeah, just, I'm sure it must be helping with the recovering process. Yeah. And yeah, like blood flow and all that stuff. Yeah. 
and like, you know, happy thoughts and like the happy chemicals that your brain makes when you're working out and you're tired. And stuff. Yeah. So you, you would recommend if people are injured to look at the type of exercising that they can do and that it would help with their endorphin release, happy thoughts and everything. And also maintaining their body metabolism high to also help with the recovering process. Yeah. And I mean, just honestly, like probably trying like as many new things as you can, like exercise wise is probably okay. good because you, I mean, especially if you're an acrobat and you're like, you know, on a show and if you can't work for a long time, it, things can be a little boring. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you're not like flipping around and stuff like you're, you're just like lifting weights and doing whatever it can be a little bit like repetitive and all that so to try to find as many like interesting ways to work out and new things is helpful i was you know lucky to stay in montreal for my recovery we have great physios but um yeah i had like i was doing a lot of kind of newer exercises for me and also like mm -hmm. pool rehab too which was okay. great because after I was like cleared to do that, um, I was able to walk again and obviously you're a lot lighter in a pool. So, yeah. uh, so yeah, it was great to like, you know, do all that stuff, but yeah, I mean, I was doing the blood flow restriction machine. Mm -hmm. So like, I mean, that, that was, that was nuts because the first time I did it, basically what they do is they put a, like when they take your blood pressure, you know, they like yeah. squeeze your arm, but uh, cause I injured my foot. They're doing it, you know, high up on your thigh and they squeeze it. So I think you're getting like 20% of the blood flow that you normally get. It's all safe. Your muscle. Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah. So like, you know, at the end, like your leg is purple, you're doing like super simple exercises, <laughs> but because you have like no oxygen going to your muscles, they get exhausted quickly and they, you know, mm -hmm. you're able to like build them and it's how you yeah. retain muscle mass when you're not using the muscles so much. Oh, um, that's a good, that's a good thing to know. Like the, and a good tool to search. Like if you don't necessarily have access to that with your physio or your doctor, you can search if there is this type of equipment yeah. available around. Yeah. I don't think that they're cheap, but, but, uh, yeah. I think, I think physio is probably using them more and more, but yeah, I remember mm -hmm. the first time, like when we took the tourniquet off after I finished the exercises, like feeling like the blood flow, like into my foot and stuff. I was like, Whoa, <laughs> it was wild, man. It was crazy. But yeah, so like all that stuff. And then also, I think one of the things that kind of got me through it is kind of uh, embracing all like the recovery things that they have, like the, the Normatec, like the big kind of like cushion, like pressure massage things that they have. Yeah. The like ice bucket for my foot. It's crazy because like now I stick my foot in an ice bucket and it's like, it feels normal. But like yeah. I've ice other parts of my body a few times recently, and I'm like, oh my god, don't yeah. do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so cold. But my foot, yeah. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, so the tip here would be to like embrace as many the, the most variety of tools you can have for your rehabilitation, like icing, compression, uh, different type of machines. Like trying to be as proactive as you can. Yeah. In your recovering. Process. Yeah, and that's the, that's just the physical stuff. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and like getting massages and stuff too. Just like, yeah. you know, mixing it up and like doing as much as you can, just so you don't get bored. And did you try to see a sports psychologist or someone to help you on the psychological side as well? I did see a sports psychologist and yeah. uh, How was that? it was super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah, I think I had, I had tied up uh, like a, a few other things into the, like getting back into a show and uh 
like, yeah, I was saying like, you know, I wanted to get revenge and like go back and stuff. And, mm. um, a lot of emotions in the mix. Yeah. Cause, cause yeah. Like when we, um, yeah, when we closed totem, like I kind of knew that we were closing cause I checked my phone <laughs> like before I did like that last day, things were getting crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, I like checked my phone and it was like, you know, it was like declared worldwide pandemic. And I was like, all right, this is the last show. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so like, I think like working from that, like, you know, it was like two years later, basically when I got injured and then, you know, it could be another year, let's say like until I get back. So I was like, oh man, I just wanted like vindication. Hold on. Let's yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Like, um, when I got injured, I was like, oh man, it's a delayed revenge. Yeah. <laughs> Put that revenge on ice a little bit. <laughs> so yeah um so yeah just kind of like thinking about that because when i was um sort of like trying to uh or when i was starting to train again here i was being probably more strict with myself than i would have been with like you know, myself before or like you know thinking about like managing like a team i wouldn't mm -hmm. have been like as hard on someone as i was on myself okay. i think i think a lot of people do like hold themselves to high standards and maybe after yeah. like some time or some time away, like you want to come back and be like just as good or better as you were before. But, you know, expecting like perfection and all that stuff right away is mm, yeah. not really helpful <laughs> or, or maybe not realistic. So <laughs> no, extra, extra pressure. Yeah. Not, not super helpful. Never really helpful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, actually that's like kind of one of the like things that I talked about with the sports psychologist was the, uh, there was like a way of um, like analyzing your thoughts. It's like mm -hmm. the, the um, acronym was like love L U V. So it's like, is it mm -hmm. logical? Like to think that way? Is mm -hmm. it, um, is it useful to think that way? Okay. And is it verifiable? So it's uh, like, that's, no, that's a cool, that's a cool formula. I think it's interesting. So it was like logical. Like, does it make sense at all? Like, should you expect to be perfect? <laughs> like is it uh like usable like or, no <laughs> no it's like yeah, no not really no <laughs> yeah and like verifiable like what other people think that i need to be thinking that way and like does that check out no <laughs> no dude <laughs> that's great so say so again it's love l-u-v is it logical is it utilizable and is it verifiable yeah logical useful and verifiable logical so if ever you're having negative thoughts or you're feeling down are my thought logical useful and verifiable yeah and it will help to process the thoughts themselves yeah like it, and it's also just like being able to you know just kind of like shake off like a bad turn or a bad day too it's like yeah yeah, yeah for sure that's just a day Yes, yeah. man. <laughs> and, you know, and that's sort of like uh, sort of the frame of mind that you could get into when like you get hurt. You're like, oh, man, was like because I made a mistake. But, um, you know, it's very normal. <laughs> like most of the time, like when you make a mistake, you don't have, a, you know, something that takes you out for months at a time. Yeah. No, for sure. But uh, but again, it happened. It happened, I think, to yeah. every acrobat who we know. Yeah, it's normal. Oh, except, <laughs> except Sarah, my trapeze partner. She was never injured in her career. Well, it must be nice. 
<laughs> like, like never took a show off for, but yeah, yeah, she was always super solid. I have no idea how she does it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, God, there was, there was another, um, thing that I saw and we'll have to pardon my French a little bit here, but some guy said the little, uh, thing that you could think about is the little fucker in your head. Okay. So like when you're being like negative and you're like, man, I suck. I'm terrible. Like, what am I even doing here? No one, no one yeah. needs me on this team. <laughs> it's like the, the idea of that is like, you have a little voice in your head that tells you these things, but it's just like the negativity and you don't have to listen to the, like, you can say, thank you. <laughs> like, thanks for that. But I like, I'll use that for like what I can and like realize the feelings that it's telling me, but goodbye. I don't need I don't need to keep you with me. <laughs> and from experience. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure like a lot of people, you kind of get, you know, absorbed in a moment and, you know, like maybe right after or like mm-hmm. day of you're like, man, that was not a very good thing. Like, I guess I'm not so good. And it's like, nah, man, sleep on it. You're fine. <laughs> like be, be like, be nice to yourself. <laughs> yeah. Would you have any pitfalls or stuff that you've done during a recovering process and you're like, oh, like that's something that's very easily, I can very easily identify as something you should not do that's not helpful? Um, I try. I was really strict with myself about like the first three months of like non-weight bearing. So like mm-hmm. kind of the doctor's orders there. Cause it's like, you know, some people are like kind of go-getters. And they're like, nah, man, I'm going to see if I can walk. I was like, no way in hell I am walking on this thing before the doctor says, okay. I'm like, I don't care if he's being super, super conservative with like the time frame, yeah. but like, I want this thing. Cause you know, you got to deal with this guy. I only got one foot, man. It's like, you got to deal with this thing <laughs> forever. So yeah, I wanted it to heal the right way. So yeah, I, I, even when I saw him, um, when we had the checkup, he was like, yeah, you didn't like try to stand on it though like ever. And I was like, no, you told me that. (laughs) I was like, I don't want to mess this thing up. Uh, So yeah. Was he happy? The doctor was he like, yeah, that's good job. That's great. Yeah. That was the right. I mean, he was like, he's like, Oh, okay. (laughs) But I was like, (laughs) I I attached a lot more significance to that than I guess he thought I would. Um, But yeah, that's, that's something we've seen too. We've seen people being injured and trying to come back too soon and then re-injuring themselves yeah. and they have to be out for even longer. So yeah, yeah. It like yeah, it can take the whole it can make everything take way longer than if you just kind of, you know, if you do the work on the front end and like it's, you know, let's say three more weeks, you can save yourself, you know, maybe a few months on the back end if you had started like, you know, if I'd started like running or, you know, walking or whatever, you know, yeah. too soon. So listen to your doctors <laughs> and be a little bit conservative with your the process. Yeah. Also, I think, uh, one thing that I struggled with was that, uh, I, I kind of put like time frames in my head where I was like, okay, I want to get back mm. at this point. And like, you know, basically it was like, if everything went exactly right, maybe I could get back, you know, really quickly. But, um, yeah, when, when that didn't happen, I was, I was a little upset, but it's just like, oh yeah. Like, be flexible because you know what your which your like injury recovery is it's like not something that you're used to and it can take a long time like there are ones that you know are super smooth and super fast and then there are some that are like you know longer and slower so like it's, it's already enough work 
to like, you know, come back. Like you don't need to put extra pressure on yourself for like, you know, a certain day. Oh yeah. So what you're saying is that putting a deadline on yourself was just setting you up for disappointment. Yeah. You should just focus on the process itself and being diligent with the process and that trusting that it's going to take the time that it needs. And then before you know, you'll be ready to go back. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, cause with, with deadlines, like some people can feel pressure and stuff too. So maybe you're, I mean, I was probably like pushing harder. I was like safe, but I was just like exhausted, you know? Mm. And, uh, and then, yeah. So that, that's where I was like, Oh yeah, probably didn't need to do that or should have uh, thought about like where I was in like the context of my recovery. And I, I would have realized that I thought about it a little bit harder. Like that's like super, super ambitious and like, <laughs> maybe not realistic. So what would you say your injury and recovery teach you? Um, I kind of thought about that a bunch. Like, like someone asked me like, I mean, maybe like six weeks after I got hurt, they're like, wouldn't it make you learn? I was like, yo, I'm right in the middle of it right now. I don't know. <laughs> no idea. Um, so I think <laughs> one of the things that I've like, you know, really kind of realized is like how like lucky and fortunate I've been that this is kind of the first injury that I've had, like, and just, you know, in general, like, especially when you're on like crutches or whatever, you're like, oh man, this stinks. And then you see like other people on crutches, you're like, oh yeah, they know. And then, you know, crutches is like one thing, but there are people that are dealing with like significantly harder things yeah, than that too. Sure. So to kind of put yourself into like, you know, perspective and, and really kind of think bigger picture. It's like, I'm extremely lucky that, you know, I'm in the position that I am and I have a great, like an amazing, like support staff around me to help me get through this. So yeah, basically just that I'm extremely lucky. Um, and kind of to be a little like with dates and stuff and just expectations and all that, just to be more flexible and, uh, mm -hmm. to try to extend like a little bit more grace to myself, you know? Yeah. And like I said, like, uh, you know, I had kind of been thinking like I wanted revenge and stuff too. And, uh, like just to get back to the show and like, you know, get back going like the way that we were before the pandemic and everything. And I saw this video and this guy was like, I think what he said was, uh, like the best revenge is to live an amazing life. And that, I, that one kind of gave me an epiphany. I was like, it is because <laughs> like, yeah. you know, if you're just thinking about like trying to get back to what you had before, it's a, maybe it doesn't exist. And, you know, B mm -hmm. might not help. So I was like, okay, like this is the situation that I'm in. Let's try to basically make it, you know, the best life that I can make it and go from wow. there. Yeah. I think that's the perfect, perfect way to put it. I love that. I love this. The best revenge is to have an amazing life. That's Really, that's going to be the quote of the episode for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, before before we end things, I have one last. No, no, I'm not going to say before we end things because that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> before we end this, before we end this conversation, <laughs> we'll have more. Uh, yes, uh, I have one last question for you. If tomorrow aliens would land on Earth, how would you explain Cirque du Soleil to them? 
Yeah, this is a hard one. Um, <laughs> I would say that it is uh, a nice example of how uh, humankind can work in groups to do something good. And I think you can also learn like, you know, you can learn a lot from like the big things that people are doing, but also like, you know, how special like some people are when you see kind of like interactions. Cause you see like amazing acrobatics or like something on stage, but then you can also see like really still moments with like a clown or some, some part of like a break in a show where there's a person on stage and you're like, Oh my God, like, like very like human moments where people are doing like very little things that, you know, everybody in, in the public can feel. So, uh, I'd say it's, uh, some good human cooperation is, <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> <laughs> with with fancy costumes and uh lights and <laughs> and automation yeah, and uh <laughs> yeah oh i love that good, man is it a great expression of good human co good human cooperation yeah it's also like oh man is it like mars attacks aliens because they were hostile <laughs> <laughs> yeah Oh, but dude, thank you so much for taking a little bit of your time and coming, having a your chit chat with me. Always a pleasure. And um, yes, my man. All right. Take care. Thanks, buddy. How great is Jonathan? He always makes me laugh so much. He's awesome. And he's now back performing in Corteo. So that's amazing. I'm so happy for him. And I really like that LUV tool. Are my thoughts logical, useful, and verifiable? I'll definitely give it a try. Also, in general, I think it's a great thing to normalize getting help when we are not doing so well mentally. Life can be a lot, and I think that also a lot of us are still processing the whole pandemic stuff. So if you are feeling down, try to reach out to your friends and family your general practitioner or therapist if you have access to one. Now, if you don't have this type of support system available, you can find a lot of amazing, free and available chat and phone lines on helpguide.org slash find help. Helpguide.org slash find help. If you enjoyed this episode, you can now take a few moments to give us a good rating and review. It really makes a difference for us. You can find the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CircusTalk.com, or wherever you're getting your podcasts. Now, my friends, that's it for today, but we'll be back next week. I wish you guys a great day, a great week, big merde if you're having a show tonight, and as we say in the circus, see you down the road. <laughs>